Hi, I'm Lucas James. And I'm Jordan Ross. And I'm AJ Casada. And we're the co-hosts of How to Scale an Agency. After scaling our own agencies to over $185,000 per month in sales and working with agencies doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue like Hawk Media and Neil Patel, we've made this show to interview the top digital marketing agency owners and highlight the fastest ways to scale your agency. If you would like to join the best digital marketing agency community on the planet and let us help you scale, go to twiz.io to sign up today. All right. Welcome, agency owners and entrepreneurs, to another episode of How to Scale an Agency. I'm your host, AJ Casada. If you're listening on the podcast, I appreciate you. If you're listening on the Facebook group live, appreciate you joining live, and you can type any questions in the comments below if we have time. And I'm definitely especially excited for today's episode. We're joined by a really special guest, my friend, Mandy Ellison. And uh, if you don't even know Mandy, she's the founder of Hands Off CEO, a really awesome consulting practice that she'll tell you all about. Uh, where she helps consulting businesses and agencies scale, position themselves for exit, and more importantly, do it in a more sustainable way where they get free time back. She also just wrote a book, The Hands Off CEO, which I'm really excited about. Congrats on that, Mandy, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, AJ. It's lovely to be here. Yes, lovely to have you. I'm really excited for what we're going to go into today. So for everyone listening, the theme for today's episode is, you know, the stages of growth from zero to $10 million. And this is something that, that Mandy's experienced like firsthand really in the trenches from working with hundreds and hundreds of different clients. And uh, I'm really excited because I think this is such an important topic to look at, you know, how to think about your business at different stages. Because a lot of times I think we we live in this world of like YouTube shorts and blogs and tweets where you just hear a piece of business advice and you're like, oh, I should go do that thing. But really, maybe that person that said that piece of advice is at 10 million a year and you shouldn't do that if you're at 1 million a year, right? So I think it's, it's confusing to know like what to do, what to focus on. So we're going to try to break that down and Mandy's going to share tons and tons of experience. But before we get into it, Mandy, you want to introduce yourself for anyone who doesn't really know about you? Sure, AJ. That, I totally agree with what you're just sharing about how important it is to take the right action at the right time in the growth stage of your company. As you mentioned, my company is Hands Off CEO and we help consulting agencies. So those for creating done-for-you offers that create really big outcomes, we help them be able to scale those companies by helping the CEO free up 10 extra hours per week to focus on growth, triple their fees, and unlock millions of dollars of profitable growth. So that's in a nutshell what we do. And uh, we've been doing it for about 11 years now, small agency before that. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for uh, the show for the show here. Uh, pepper me with your questions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we get into the meat of the topic, I think it'd be cool for the viewers to know just like, how did you get into this? So, you know, so you've been an entrepreneur, been consulting for 11 years, or at least had this specific business for 11 years. But I believe from our last conversation, you didn't start out as an entrepreneur. You didn't really go to business school. Like, how, how did the journey start? No, I was going to be a geologist, actually. <laughs> I was going to be a geologist. An art teacher was one of the things I had considered. And I got into business from being a manager in a company. And I really whipped this company into shape. I was able to make it so it would run without me. And I was able to, to leave for big chunks of time and be able to make record profits for the owners. And both in reducing costs, increasing rents, because it was a real estate company, and also reducing the turnover and, and pre-leasing. So I was able to fix a lot of operational problems with the right sales and marketing with the right offer. So those are things, some things that I learned pretty early on when actually when I was in college and that catapulted me into a small agency where I did web design and branding 
And I was, I was starting to scale this company or attempting to get beyond myself, pregnant with my second daughter. I actually talk about this story in, in the book in a little bit more detail, but I really struggled to be able to remove myself from this. And I had tried to make what I had seen work in the last company that, that as a manager work in the company just didn't. It didn't have the same applicability to it because of the higher ticket services, there were so much that required me to do and to be able to find the talent. One of the biggest challenges that I, I found was that nobody would be doing the work at the same level as, as I needed it done. And um, I didn't quite have the cash flow to be able to pay for the next level people. And even if I did, I, I had paid some of those people and I still didn't get that much better results. So I really found myself in this place where my business had just eaten me alive. And it actually it had caused such physical issues. Even I, my body was actually shutting down just weeks before I was giving birth to my second daughter. And it was just such an unsustainable place. I mean, I really passionate about the work that I did and I really enjoyed helping companies be able to grow, but it was just not workable. So at a time where, you know, my husband and I really could have used the income with our, I had a, a four-year-old daughter, I had the baby coming a long way and he was in a graduate medical program where you could have used the income, but I temporarily shut down the business as I was figuring out what to do next with this. And this got me into this journey of testing and trying to understand what was it that actually was stopping me from being able to get results. So I started helping other people be able to solve this problem just because I knew that if I I knew I was really pretty good at problem solving. And if I can figure out how to make that work before another company, I could understand the principles about what made it work and, and under what conditions. So as I started doing that, more people asked me for help doing that. I accidentally started a consulting company. And um, meanwhile, the branding and web design company, I sold it off to one of the staff members. And um, it wasn't some huge exit. There's no some, something glamorous. But I was able to take something that was a, an asset that really wasn't worth a whole lot, but then make it be something that was highly valuable to someone else. And she's still running it today, actually. It's a really big win to, to be able to see how you can really bless other people's lives when you can pick, take what you've built and make it useful for other people. So that was, you know, the rest is history. It's been about 12 years since that time and um, actually over 12 years, but that's how I got started doing it. So the mindset around the creativity of testing and then the scientific methodology, both those from my background come into how we've developed our proven systems over the years at Hands Off CEO. Yeah, definitely. I know I'm excited to get to that as well, how you're applying kind of the scientific methodology, um, especially since you've come from that background. And I always find that, you know, people that did really start out in like business school or start out wanting to know they want to run a business, like whatever they were doing before that, the skills, kind of like the personality traits kind of transfer, which I think is really interesting. That's an amazing story. And I think, uh, yeah, just the fact that, you know, you you had that struggle, you had that problem. Like, I always find that the best consultants, some of the best product services, they come from where the founder had the problem themselves and they solved it for other people because they really understand what it's like to struggle with that, you know. And I understood what it's like at multiple levels because yeah. that was at a, a specific level. But then as this company has grown, I've had to deal with these same things at the same time as helping our clients scale. And like, I'm, I'm not immune from these same challenges. Right. You know, this book took, this book, Hands Off CEO, took me over five years to write. And as I was writing it, I was dealing with some of these challenges. <laughs> but like, I felt like I've had people share with me that they're like, as I'm reading this, this was such an emotional experience. Like, did you mean that? I'm like, no, I just like, I just was in it so much that I think that it comes through in a very authentic way for people who are, have experienced that or are, are currently in, experiencing it. 
Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, well, even when you were mentioning some of the problems that you faced in the beginning, I'm sure a lot of viewers felt emotional, or I did. When you're saying like, don't have the cash to pay the team, overwhelmed with work, like I'm just, I imagine how many people right now are like, oh, that hurts, that hurts. That's what I'm dealing with right now, right? Because they're all problems we all face, you know? The real issue of being able to remove the CEO out of the day to day in the business, most people think that's an operations issue, but it's not. It's the cash flow issue. The cash flow issue is from your marketing and your sales, especially your sales. If you have your offer positioned in the right way, if it is the foundations of it will allow you to be able to generate the cash flow and profit, you'll have a sustainable company. So most operations problems are actually indications of an unsustainable model, which are sales and marketing problems. Right. Because the sales and marketing brings in the cash flow, which allows you to hire people for operations or work with consultants or implement new tools kind of along those lines. Exactly. I think that's a really interesting perspective. And I'm really excited to dive deep into that because, you know, like I do see a lot of people that are on LinkedIn, like operations consultants or, hey, well, you know, we'll free up your time. Right. But, and I'm sure a lot of them are great, but it's always the same thing. It's always like, you know, you've got to fix your operations, you've got to fix your operations. And you're saying it's not really operations. It might seem like operations, but it's really rooted in marketing, sales, business model, cash flow. So I, I think that's very interesting. Right. And um, there's definitely a use for support with productivity, support yeah. with putting together systems right. and all of those things. And those individually, though, are, are tactics and they're also commodities. And they're going to attain a certain amount of income for an offer. It doesn't actually solve the bigger picture perspective. When you solve a bigger picture perspective, you actually are able to generate much more value to your clients because you're actually able to overcome all of the the potential breakdowns that happen, for example, with scaling. Right. And solve things at the at the root cause. So yeah, so like those things can help, you know, putting better systems in place, adopting new tools, you know, project management. Like I know there's a lot of project management consultants that can help, but it's almost, you know, kind of putting a band-aid over the real thing. Right. Exactly. Well, I'm definitely excited to dive into that and um when you mentioned that, you know, you were writing the book while facing some of those challenges, I thought that was interesting because it's like you were kind of almost documenting what you were going through, which probably made it really like transfer that emotion and, and some of that experience like through the book, right? I think that's fair to say. Yeah. It's been an up and down, right? I actually spent more than five years writing it. And I wrote, I wrote it several times because there were at different iterations that what would happen is, is that I wrote it for a certain audience at an earlier level. And as we are continuing to up-level the kind of clients that we're working with, because you know we're working with mostly seven-figure clients, some in the eight figures, some in the multiple six, if they really have a big vision and they have good outcomes already. But um, it was written to a different audience. And part of this changed too, as our company continued to grow, as we were overcoming and working through these different growth stages and continuing to be working through the growth stages. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. As you were explaining your story, it also made me think of David Jennings. He wrote a book called Systemology, if that rings a bell. You've heard of it? I've heard of it. Yeah. We had a lot of podcasts uh, years ago. He's actually one of our first episodes. And he has the same exact story, not the same exact story, but a similar story where he had an agency actually also doing web design. And when he was having a baby, that's when he realized this isn't going to work <laughs> without me. And that literally like, the same exact thing. I got to send you the episode or send you the book because it's like, yeah so many common things, but it makes me think about like whether it's having a kid or something else. Sometimes when we have these life events, like I had like a, a small one or last year, I got sick for like two weeks and um, I was like, it just sucks that I have to like, my business has to suffer because I'm sick for two weeks. What if it could just run perfectly while I'm not sick for two weeks, right? Why not have to be thinking about that while I'm laying in bed, right? That kind of thing. These are gifts. Those types of experiences are gifts because it helps us really refine 
what it is that we really want by giving us the contrast. And we saw a lot of growth around COVID actually in our business because these kind of things were showing up all over the place for our clients. COVID can knock you out for three weeks, right? So even just under the most ideal circumstances, it runs through your team. <laughs> That's a pretty hard situation to be in. There's all sorts of other implications that go with that as well. But there can be these life catalysts that happen that can really be this gift to help us create a faster transformation. And those are actually the clients that we see will that will generate the fastest transformations in their company because they want it really bad. There's some that there's a why. There's some life event that triggered it kind of, right? Well, and if they don't have that big life event, we also work to help them refine to create that same kind of drive that otherwise would be created in a really stressful situation. Yeah, gotcha. Which I and I think that's great. I think that's really what everyone listening, you know, should take a proactive approach to this. Cause a lot of times in life we wait till we get punched in the face or something like, you know, some kind of stressful situation causes the staff to rethink and readjust, which yeah, can be useful. And I, and I love that positive view on that, right? That you, know, you have there, like how that, that actually is a gift. And it is, I totally agree. But also if we can be in the proactive zone, that's even even better, right? And solve these things so that when something happens, have a baby, go on a vacation or, you know. And that kind of comes down to this concept around, are you going to something or moving away from it? This is, comes down to the importance of visioning and the importance of being really clear about where you want to go and continuing to challenge that and be surrounding yourself with people who will also challenge that, including your team. I've uh, recently, I actually had talked about with our team, we had specific numbers on our, our growth goals. And I'm like, I don't think that this is possible because of you know these types of things and like, let's be realistic. And they're like, no, you guys, you, we, we could totally do this. We just need to do this and this. I'm like, oh, okay. They both pushed, my managers um, and leaders pushed against my thinking on it. And, um, as a result, we're going to generate more growth. And they helped me shift something in my mindset and helped me see that how much more we could do and how many more people we can help if I just get out of my own way. That's amazing that how your team is lifting you up. Because usually when you hear about those stories of someone being like, we can't do this. And someone, the other person is like, no, we can't. It's usually the other way around. It's usually the, the leader or the boss is like trying to convince the team like, no, we, we can do this. It's possible, right? But if your team is at that level and, and they're pushing well, you better, like that's, that's pretty special. And I'm going to also say that we have a really fantastic team. Part of the reason why they're really fantastic is that I invest time in developing them. And the same things that we're working with our clients on, we're working with our team on too and, and our leaders as well. Because what's really beautiful is when you're training your team to think abundantly and to think limitless, and then they go and flip it on you. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, you said this, right? <laughs> right, right. But that's kind of cool because then it kind of forces you to still like maintain it. And, you know, because we all need those reminders, right? You know, we can all learn something once, like a mindset or a principle. But then, of course, we always need those kind of reminders to keep doing that, right? Or keep thinking that way. Right. The limitations that we put ourselves are usually coming from a place of good intentions. Like, I don't want to blow up my family. I don't want to do something that's out of alignment with my values. If we create this much growth, then we're going to be putting strains on our current clients. These new clients, they're not going to have a good experience. So all of these things, they're very reasonable objections, I should say. The thing is, each one of those, they don't necessarily have to be true. They may be true, actually, though, with, with the current way that you're running things. And that's why we have to really look at, are we creating from the past way we've done things, have gotten us up to this point right now? Or are we open to new ways of creating that are not constrained by the limitations of the past? So where those past limitations are no longer are no longer in the space, 
mean, is it true that I'm going to blow up my family if we, you know, triple the company? If I'm acting in this particular way, if I'm doing this and just triple the input activities that I'm doing, but there may be another way. Mm. And if you get fixated on the how, which you don't know, because if you knew how, if you knew how, you, you would already have it. Yeah. You don't know how. You have to take the leap of faith to create that. And then the way forward will actually appear. So I know we've talked a lot about mindset. We can go more into the tactical things too, if you want, but the mindset is really important. If I just say, want to say one more thing too, is, is that yeah. whenever we're creating change, there is a system aspect of it. And then there's a mindset. Sometimes taking action on, on the system will create the mindset shift. But these two aspects that are playing, you really have to take into consideration what is the thinking behind what's running this pattern. And the thinking also in our own bubble, we can't see ourselves. So we have a number of exercises that we take our clients through to help them bust through these ways that they're thinking because the thinking generates the, the results that they're having. But anyway, whenever there's a growth plateau, we can look at this, the team, it's the offer. I don't have enough time. We don't have enough cash. All of these things, they all look like external things. The reality is, is that you can have, there's a lot of proof for them being external things. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily not because they are, right? But at the same time, you're creating those external things. So it actually starts on the inside. So there's a mindset and a system that goes with any change. And if you just change the system, you will create another plateau. And the you may also be creating undesirable things that come along with it because you're still running the mindset pattern. So what that might look like is, is that, yes, we've created more growth, but now I'm actually working more and more hours, which I see all the time. Yeah. When you said that it starts internal and then it manifests external, I'm, yeah, such a believer in that. And I love that you said that. Because yeah, you're right. They are external problems, but they were created by us. That's what I'm hearing you say, right? So, and they were created by us. Whatever we create, whatever actions we take, it's kind of a result of our thoughts and our beliefs and everything underneath that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like you were saying, it's kind of hard when you're in your own bubble. So that's why exercises or consulting with other people, team members can kind of help you break out of that and start to see those patterns, right? Yeah, cool. I, I think we should definitely touch more on the, the mind system as we go along. It's funny, every, every time we do one of these interviews, there's always a tactic in mind, which we are going to get to, we're going to get into the stages of growth. It's almost impossible to not talk about mindset. If I don't bring it up, the guest brings it up. It's like, it's so important, you know? Right. You can't create a new, a new result in the same way that you're thinking, created a different one. You can't move past the same result that you're creating with the same kind of thinking. So uh, before we move on, what would be an example of that? Or even like maybe even a quick, if there's an exercise that you find helpful, like, so I know that I need to change my thinking if I want to change my results and I have to have different perspectives, but how do I do that? Right. How do I know? I need, is it a matter of like reflecting more, taking a day off to think, talking to someone, well, bouncing ideas? It's more than what we can talk about in an inter interview like this. And if I go and rattle off some exercise, then it's going to be out of context and there won't be enough description to actually yeah. use. So this is work that we do at our hands-off CEO leadership retreats. And um, we do a little bit of tactical and there, but more than anything, we're doing leadership. But from a transformational leadership, we're developing awareness around where we're, how we're showing up. We can recommend a few books on this. Books will give you insight, but it's really the hands-on experiences in a matter of a few days that you can completely transform how you're showing up, who you are as a leader, which gives you access to new actions that you didn't have before. You didn't have access to that. Just for example, I'll give you an example, all right? I used to be a really critical leader. I didn't see myself as critical 
my worldview is that, you know, I have the mind of, of an engineer that just, I can see everything. I can see everything, the big picture. And it's also, I'm also dyslexic. So I think in pictures and I can see the interconnections between everything. One of the downsides of that is that I've looked at it and said, you know what, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing this. And on the surface, it looks like, well, of course you need to be giving direction to people. But I was giving direction to people that, that sometimes was empowering, but it was, was not actually being effective because people felt like they were being criticized. Mm. Yeah. So the shift for me was moving away from being critical. And especially as a CEO, when you got a lot moving and you're, and you're just sending out criticisms left and right, I did not see them as criticisms, by the way. I had right. to really shift the way that I saw. It really took some personal development for me to be able to see really what I was doing to people around me my whole life. It was really deep. This was a really deep transformation that had to happen through through experiences that I had, through some mentorship and helping me be able to see myself when I couldn't. Sometimes things were pretty challenging. There were, there were maybe some more personal things. And I remember coming to a mentor and saying, these are some of the things that are happening. And I remember actually even crying at the same time. And she's just like, you're making it so significant. I was like, where's sympathy here? And there was like none of it. It was like the way that you're creating this. And my point of this is I, I had access because I could start seeing myself in a new way I'd never seen myself. And when I did that, I was able to see how instead of being critical with people, I could create with them. And one of the biggest insights that I found from that too is, is that if I have people in my in my life, I'm going to specifically say in my business, that I can't create a new possibility with. If I cannot create with them, they don't belong in the business. So if I feel like I have to be critical, it may be an indication that they don't belong there. The agencies that do the best and grow the most are the ones that have excellent offers, great marketing, and great sales systems. Now, the customer acquisition process can be really hard to master. There's a lot that goes into generating leads, closing deals, building a sales team. Especially since our industry is so competitive and there's so many agencies and freelancers out there, it makes it really hard to stand out and grow and win you know, the clients that you want. Now, fortunately, we've created a free Facebook community with trainings, weekly live sessions, and tons of really valuable networking opportunities with six, seven, and eight-figure agency owners. You can find it here on Facebook at B2B Sales and Marketing Secrets. So right now, go to Facebook, do a search and type in B2B sales and marketing secrets. Or you can just add me on Facebook, AJ Casada, and find a link on my profile. There's also a free mini course inside on how to generate more leads, close more deals, and scale your agency. I highly recommend you join. It'll only take one minute. And if you ever need any questions or need advice, just email me at AJ at revenueboost.net. So again, if you ever want to drop me a question, email me at AJ at revenueboost.net. I love helping agencies and sharing ideas about how they can grow further. And again, go join our free Facebook community, guys. It's so valuable. We have great trainings in there, great posts, and tons and tons of content that we don't normally share with the public. So go to the Facebook group right now, B2B Sales and Marketing Secrets. Drop me a message once you're in there. I love to connect with our community members and check out the video trainings and the free course we have inside. See you there. Now back to the show. Yeah, really powerful. I think that's another example of how the, the problem that shows up, such as, oh, this employee keeps messing up this thing, or I think they keep messing up this thing, is actually the root of a different problem. Like, well, if I have to keep criticizing them, this person, I should have hired them in the first place, right? You know, so kind of how well, our problem shows up, and really it's over here, right? I didn't see myself as being critical of them at all, though. I just saw myself as being a realist and just pointing out where the gaps were. It's vastly different when you're creating, when you're creating with your team. And what I have seen is that 
first of all, the access to the level of people that have been excited to be at my company has, has gone up to a whole new level. The other thing I've seen is that there's really no peak. I don't see any place where they're going to peak. They have so much opportunity for growth. And I look at the leaders that I have in my team right now and seeing how quickly they're growing, how there's no end in sight. These are leaders that we could quadruple the size of the company and they will be able to grow with the company. That does not come from a place of criticizing. You have to create with them. You have to help them be able to see how they can continue to grow in your company and with you. You cannot retain people like that. I can't retain team like that by criticizing them. I can't extract the best value from them. Extract may be the wrong word. The thing is, is maybe it's the right word though, because they want to extract the best value too. Right. That's interesting. So it's kind of like you're always limiting your team if you're, yeah, if you're, otherwise it's the Mandy show, right? It's just, you know, Mandy says what's right or wrong, right? It's embarrassing that you say this, but like in a cycle that keeps going and we keep growing and everything. But anyway, enough about me. But the tool, one of the tools that I will just share is journaling, journaling and having the awareness and observing what thinking may be contributing to the actions that you have. Like one great book that I really love is The Big Leap from Gay Hendricks. I really like that one. Seekers of Natural Success by William White Cloud is also a really good one. There's some, there's a whole chapter on unconscious beliefs that I really like on there. Those are a couple that can help you shift your mindset. But more than anything, being able to have feedback from a network of people that have similar goals and that are going to hold you to a new standard and mentors that will guide you to be able to think bigger, to be able to see things that you that you can't already. That for me has been some of the biggest things that have helped and actual transformational experiences. Yeah, I can relate to a lot of that as well. And because awesome. that's helped me, that's why we've created the Hands Off CEO because based on testing, that's what we find works. Yeah, for sure. You're in your own bubble, right? So you, sometimes you need those people around you to challenge you, get you to think bigger, mentors, whatever, team members, whatever it is. I'm excited to go into the stages of growth. And I think this was a great intro because now, yeah, the tactics are important. But really like what I always love when a guest comes on, you know, as, as experienced yourself is like, how does this person think? Like, well, what is the, what are their guiding principles, right? So I love getting, you know, some of that before we get into the juicy tactical step-by-step -step arts, right? So we're going to talk about the stages from zero to, to 10 million. Um, how do you break up the stages? Do you think about it in like revenue levels or like, what are the stages that you see from zero to 10 million? We can break it down generally into some revenue levels based on some general characteristics that we see in business. Now, these are going to go up and down based upon the offer size, like your, um, how big the offer size is and other factors. But the offer size more than anything else is going to make the biggest difference. And also, we're talking about gross sales too. This doesn't necessarily mean profit. Quite a big difference. But it is helpful to, to look at it from a gross sales perspective, specifically when we're talking about agencies right here, and I'm talking about consulting agencies, but the number could be higher if you have more pass-through income. Like, for example, if you count ad and spend as part of your gross revenue, which you shouldn't, yeah, right. <laughs> it's just a liability and maybe better not to run through your company. It's kind of cute when you hear people say, oh, I have a I have a $5 million company. And then you find out that $4.5 million of that is ad spend wouldn't be because a company that that size would not be trusted without much advertising spend. But I'm just saying just to Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a hyperbole example. All right. So this comes out of chapter five in the Bunking Hands Off CEO. So if you want to read more on this, but I'll just basically go over some of the main, the main ones. And this is from zero to 10 million. They're a startup. It's from zero to about 250. Some of these may change a little bit with with inflation too. I yeah. don't know how much they will change because what more than anything, I'm actually seeing that as inflation goes up, 
the income numbers don't get up. They're just getting eroded away as the profits are being eroded away even more. Unfortunately, it doesn't have to be that way, but pit of deaths, 250 to 500 about. The mid six-figure stall is 500 to a million. The seven-figure slump between one and three million. There can be a couple stages within that one too. Between three and five, I'm still driving everything. It's like that one can be a little bit tricky as well because sometimes at that size, they can just be having much bigger contracts, but still running into a lot of the same problems at the seven-figure slump. And then five to 10 million plus is growing your legacy. We're just dealing with with these stages and um, a lot we'll deal with between zero and five because you overcome all the issues by five million. Getting from five to 10 million really is just replication. Mm. Replication and mindset. So go over some of these quickly then. The startup, zero to 250, zero to 100 really is the hardest. It's awful. Hopefully you can get through that very quickly if you've had a lot of experience. Maybe you have a lot of contacts and you're able to get up to speed pretty quickly. But really in the earlier stages, under a half a million, there's a lot of distraction. There's a lot of shiny objects. There's a lot of like looking for information everywhere else except for yourself. And there is definitely time for good mentorship. Unfortunately, at that level, what goes on is that they're investing in mentorship that's very low level because that's all they can afford. So you can get yourself into a trap. So I would be looking at one of the biggest things in that earlier stage too, under a half million, is that everything is so hard. Everything is driven by you. Nothing happens without you being in there. And then as you add more team members, then what happens is, is, is that you just have more and more workload and more and more people to manage. And you think that getting, so you should, your mind is playing tricks on you saying, if I grow more, then I'm actually going to be like, if I double the company, I'm going to double our team. I'm going to double our headaches. I'm going to double all of this. And, and that, that's just really the biggest problem more than anything getting between uh, getting to a million dollars is the head trash. And squirreling around looking for like the easy button. It's like there is a, here's the easy button. And this is applicable for every one of these stages. It's actually not easy, but it's going to be the faster. And um, I don't want to create unrealistic expectations, but you can actually create, you can create very fast transformations, even at earlier multiple six figure stages. We wouldn't even touch a company under, under multiple six figures. Every now and then we have someone come in who's under a half a million, who has like a really big vision. They have amazing results for their clients. We know that we just a couple little tweaks and they just, they're going to pop right up. And I'll just give you an example of Kirsten. And that was something that she, she did that recently. She came in, had a higher income, had kind of dropped in from a number of economic things that were going on in the industry and um, getting an irresistible offer in place. We could talk about the irresistible offer, but um, the irresistible offer goes for one really painful problem, one specific client type, not industry, but client type, and one outcome. And one, um, not like, we're going to give you peace of mind. That's not an outcome. Like, how are you willing to tangibly impact this business? And when she had that, she was able to, it was well over four to six times increase in her fees. And she was able to more than double her income in a matter of just a couple months. So really big impact in having the right offer in place, but it took something for her because she really had to invest ahead. Almost all of our clients do have to invest ahead. And even if they don't have to invest ahead, they're pulling out of cash reserves in, in their business, which that's like a, a comfortable place. 
So you have to go into a place of discomfort to be able to get to the next level. So one thing I would advise is anyone looking at investing ahead in the next level, first of all, get in the mindset of investing ahead. But second of all, get really clear on what the outcome is that you're actually looking to create. And then go look for a mentor, a program, whatever it is that is going to be able to help you elevate that vision. And it has a good track record of being able to do that and understands why it's going to work under what conditions so that you can actually have a, a highly have a high amount of predictability that's going to work for you. But more than anything, you just you have to make it work for yourself. It's your responsibility to go all in and make it ha- work for yourself. But anyway, the irresistible offer is one of the biggest things that that will help you be able to get to the million mark a lot faster. Anyway, we started on on the startup that the irresistible offer applies all the way across the board. We've done this with multiple eight-figure companies who hit profit slumps. They were at uh, a certain income level, and the income level stays stagnant for four years. It's very common. We see another stage in the early seven figures that there's a stagnation between um, when a company hits about a million, specifically a service-based company. At a million, they may dip down to 800 and kind of go between that and 1.3. It could be a little higher than that if your contract sizes are larger. But And what's going on at that point, that stagnation, if I'm jumping ahead here to the seven-figure slump, is that they don't have a management layer in place. They need to have a management layer that's challenging because it's not only do you have to get the structure of that right, you have to get the hire right, you have to get what are they going to actually do right. You have to get your head straight too because you may have tried this in the past and it didn't work. So doing all of that, setting all of that, how do you let go safely at the same time of that? It's a challenging problem, right? And that's primarily one of the main problems that we solve, actually, by the way, with um, in our business at this stage of our growth. All right. So I jumped ahead to the seven-figure slump. Yeah, that's okay. And I'm going to talk about the pit of death between 250 and 500 very briefly. I love the, I love the names for all this, by the way. That makes it fun. <laughs> They basically sound less depressing as you go. First, it's pit of death, and it's six figure stall, then it's slump, and then it's through. So they got to get like less and less uh, painful. Yeah, that's exactly what happens too, right? You have more resources as you grow to throw throw money at problems to help solve them, right? Right. Um, But everywhere you go, there you are. Anyway, the the pit of death. This is where you're at a point where to be able to get past this, you're starting to invest past yourself, and. because a solo a solo business gets to about 250 no more than that unless you're charging really high price points but anyway there's a lot of things that are going on there hustling working really hard your income is the highest but your costs are also the highest that's also happening at the seven figure slump your uh, costs are the highest your income's the highest there are some of these stages where you, the profit actually declines and stalls at a certain level and the typical time that we see people stall at is three years. Like I'm saying, sometimes they come to us earlier than that, but a company will oftentimes stall three to four years. And I say stall because they may, that's based upon their assessment that they want to grow larger. There's many companies that will stall at a certain level. I mean, I, I've, 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 I was uh, talking with one recently who had been at that level for 30 years and he was pretty content at that. But you can't be able to exit that company and sell that company and to be able to to really have a have a, a lucrative exit if you're the one stuck in the middle of all of that based on that plateau you have to be able to put the management layer in place and to be able to do that profitably and sustainably he's got to generate more growth has to unless he just cuts more and more 
back from himself, right. which also isn't very fun, right? No. So I feel like I'm jumping all over the place here, AJ. But um, if you want to, if you want a really clear linear, you can show it after in the book if you want. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I'm the best. I'm definitely. <laughs> the next piece is this: the uh, mid six figure stall, and uh, that's between half a million and a million. And this is this is an area where we will actually work with clients who are committed. They want to scale a multi million dollar company. They have a great offer. So the real important thing about scaling a service is that. If you want a sustainable company that doesn't just decline in profits as you scale, you have to really be looking at what is it that you're actually scaling. So if you're just trying to turn the crank and offer deliverables, then what happens is, is that your clients will look at that and say, well, I'll pay you this for the deliverables, but you're going to be the one who has to be delivering it. You have to be very involved in it. We may hear the the um, expression, well, you know, um, our clients say that, you know, I, I could just tell that your eyes weren't on this, right? And the reason why is because they have not built up a team around them to be able to do the work. And the reason why is it's it's all too custom, too many different kind of clients, too many different type of results, and it's all over the place and you can't scale that. Yeah, impossible. And because it's all over the place, what that means is that the majority of the business that you're getting is from referrals. Your big thing is, AJ, is around moving from referrals to being able to have consistent pipeline full of leads, really good quality clients. I'm sure that you're feeling like I'm preaching to the choir for you right now. Definitely. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> but it's true. And it's exactly what I've noticed is this, you know, this stage, right? And it's always, um, it's, yeah, most of our clients are between, I'd say like uh, 50K to a million. Like they've already got something started. At any of that stage, it's always, yeah, I'm dealing with referrals and it's just lots of different types of work. And now I want to actually like streamline and scale it and, and find a way to get leads without just getting referrals. All the same what we see too. Yep. And um, what we found that works to be able to get past that is that you, ha- you can't be selling the owner. Whatever your problem is today, I'm just going to solve it. Basically, we'll jump and you tell us how high. You can't just be that monkey that is going to do whatever your client says. Because first of all, that's not leadership. That's not going to get your client consistent, predictable results. If all you're doing is just whatever they tell you to do, your team is doing as well. And then they're always going to want you to be part of it because they know that you're going to help generate better results. So the biggest thing here is really getting focused on how do we be able to get 100% of our clients being able to generate the kind of results that you know we generate for maybe the top 5% of our clients. And it's not just about, okay, those are the kind of clients, like we, we worked with a car manufacturer we had really good results with. There may not be enough car manufacturers for you to be able to generate that same out- outcome with. Probably a terrible example if uh, <laughs> maybe it's not though. So anyway, being able to find that profit sweet spot client, that profit sweet spot client that may look like and may have some some of the same variables as that mm-hmm. car manufacturer example. But what is that client sweet spot? And then how do we be able to charge so much more? Like, how do we be able to triple our price point? And a lot of the things that we look for with our clients is that, let's say that they have offers, they sell product-based things. They, they may, may sell smaller um, one-off type of services. Yeah. And then maybe have these clients that even up to a million dollar clients, and maybe they have a couple six-figure ones here and there. But what happens a lot of times is 60% plus of, of the, the, their clients are in this level where they may be generating cash flow to the business, but not a whole lot of profit. So how do we be able to, what is the sweet spot? 
Is it the million dollar clients? Is it the six figure clients? Is it the lower clients? Is it the lower clients that you're moving up to six figures? Is it the higher clients that you're offering a program that's more like on the six figure level? Those are the things that we look at with our irresistible offer process that we walk our, our consulting agency clients through to be able to uncover where that is. Because once we understand that, we can get a really clear, succinct outcome. I'll give you one example, and this is not in the, in the agencies. I'm going to deliberately give it so that, but we doubled job site productivity within three months for heavy machine manufacturers, saving millions of dollars of profit per year, for example. That's an example of what an outcome statement might be look like once we've uncovered who that profit sweet spot client is. That's something that's kind of similar to one of our clients, Jeff. That wasn't exactly his his outcome statement, but he had a really bold outcome statement that was similar to that. They went from charging hourly to having million dollar deals. They were able to first go up to six figure, then multiple million. Right out of the gates, we're able to doubling their profits with an increase in, in pricing. So it was actually not a huge increase in pricing the first off. But then to be able to increase your fees a lot more, you got to really restructure what you're being sold. Then from there, you can build operations around that. That's why it's so important that we use what is um, called an irresistible offer. And um, we actually have a book summary I can give everyone a link to that they can actually get an example of what an irresistible offer looks like and a scalability checklist. So like what are the, the stages to exit in what order? It's handsoffceo.com forward slash summary, by the way, if you want to download it right now. Anyway, though, now you have a really clear target market. Now you know where to go search. Jeff's example, they had partners that were actually coming to them and saying, we want to use you exclusively you. And we want to introduce you to all of our clients because what they had is so hot and sexy that because it it really saves the client a lot of money. It solves a very painful problem that no one else was solving because everybody else was focusing on engineering and surveying. They were just looking at, at surveying, not actually solving the problem that came from looking how everything fits together, looking yeah. at the real problem and solving the real problem instead of just being order takers. Design this website. Increase my SEO traffic. I mean, real strategist. Yeah, I I really love um that you're hitting on this because yeah, I think uh, I talk about this a lot too. You know, within the community on the podcast, like and with our clients, going from order taker to really advisor. And you used a word really use a word a few minutes ago that I really want to harp on, which is leadership. Like you said, if you're just fulfilling clients' requests, you're not leading them, right? And really, how think about it, the client's not an expert at the problem. You are. So how how do they know? It's kind of backwards, right? It's like they give you requests, but they don't really know what they need, right? They don't really know what's truly going to solve it. So I think that's a huge, yeah, mindset shift. And I, I think that's a great foundation to create an irresistible offer is first realizing like, I have to actually solve the problem for them and, and lead them and tell them what they need rather than just do this, right. do that, do that, right? And that's actually something that I really appreciated in watching some of the trainings that you do. I watched one of your trainings recently and you spot on really understand a lot of some foundations that a lot of, of salespeople don't. And a lot of sales experts don't understand the foundations of what make offers actually work and, and be able to scale them. They just say more leads, more leads. Unless you actually look at the core foundation of an offer and get really clear on who that profit sweet spot client is, you're not going to be successful with any marketing channel. And yeah, I get lucky here and there, but you won't actually have lasting success. 
Yeah, perfectly said. Yeah, you won't have repeatable success because you need to really understand what you're selling, who you're selling it to, and why they need it, right? And that's different than that. That's different than just hourly fees or you know one-off tasks or deliverables, right? And hourly fees you can always sell because someone will have a problem, but it's going to be a very low-level problem. Yes, you're going to get what you get. But I wanted to add something else too because you went from order taker to advisor. The next level actually is partner. Partner. Yeah. You don't want to just. There, lots of agencies are advisors. Lots of them think of themselves as strategists. It's fine and dandy and all that, but strategy also is also a tactic. I know it's like strategy is a tactic, which is a bit of a contradiction. The thing is, is that unless the strategy actually is going to be leading to a specific outcome, and it is, it is you're selling a client a tactical solution. So if you're saying, we're going to give you this plan, then we're going to give you a strategic plan. Okay, great. Well, does this strategic plan, what is it going to do? It's going to give me clarity on what to do next. Well, that's helpful. And if this strategic plan may be able to get, show me how to even generate more traffic to our website, for example. But is that going to actually help me be able to get to my $10 million exit, for example, mm-hmm. or for the company that gets to a $10 million EBITDA, for example? We need to be looking at the bigger picture for what the client actually wants to build. Mm. Definitely. What you were saying earlier is the foundations of that year's disable offer is solve a painful problem, have a powerful outcome, right? But if you don't really know the bigger picture of what the client wants, you don't know what a good outcome is for them, or you don't know what a painful problem is, right? I think we'll definitely have to do a, a part two sometimes because I'd love to dive into these later stages, but I think we would do the audience a uh, disservice if we just kind of skipped over them, right? right. So. Yeah, so I guess we, did, we didn't actually complete the whole thing. But yeah, well, let's definitely do a part two on that and we can talk through the seven-figure slump because uh, there's a lot there and yeah. moving on into, you know, I'm still driving everything. Yeah, let's definitely do that again. Is it right if I share a resource with your audience then and tell them a little bit more about what they can find in it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Share that. If you guys are watching this live on Facebook, comment below and we'll uh, we'll, we'll send it over. Um, but yeah, anyone listening to the podcast, I'll like it below. Yeah. If you go to handsoffceo.com forward slash summary, you can download the summary of the book. I mentioned it already, but it's very succinct and it has a checklist on page 10 that goes over what areas of the business to exit in what order. And that's really important. And I actually have I've even had some people who, who reviewed the book, read the whole book and said, oh, I... I love the book. The summary was really awesome too. Oh, nice. Got to the point so quickly. So AJ, thank you so much for interviewing me here. It was really a pleasure. I appreciate being here. Appreciate you coming on. This was awesome. And I'm excited for the part two. I'll link all the resources below. And thanks so much for the time and sharing the experience with us. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening and tell us what you think. It really motivates us a lot to make more episodes and helps us out a ton with getting the show out there. Now, if you're trying to grow and get more clients and you'd like me and my team to help you come up with a personalized growth strategy for your agency, we can help. Head over to revenueboost.net slash contact and you can book a growth call with my team. This will be a one-on-one call where we'll show you what's working right now when it comes to generating leads, booking calls, and acquiring clients at scale. And you can learn about our programs where we can work with you to help your agency scale and get you more dream clients. Again, head over to revenueboost.net slash contact and see you on the next episode.